You did good. <laughs> um, you might not know this, but Brad is out because he's got two little girls. Uh, Jamie, Kate, and Gigi are running a fever. So uh, that stuff is still kind of making its rounds. And uh, they're just kind of staying put to be on the safe side with a little newborn. But uh, Jim does a good job of pinch hitting for Brad. So appreciate that. Before I get into the message, um, I want to say a couple of things. Thank you for last Sunday. Thank you for honoring our staff the way you uh, honored us. It's, it's a humbling thing. We are just so grateful for the place that God has us. And um, your response to all of that is really humbling. We're really grateful to serve you. It's, it's a blessing for us to serve you. Um, of course, you know what's going on in a couple of days. We need to be praying for our nation. We need a spiritual awakening. I think we can assume to a certain degree that politics is never going to save our nation. A move of God will save our nation. And we need a move of God. And uh, there are some dynamic believers that are out there. One is a young lady in Arizona that's running for um, governor. And uh, one of her campaign stops was a revival night with the worship and all of that. And I said, well, thank God there's, you know, people who are willing to jump into that meat grinder and uh, try to make a difference for the kingdom of God. And, of course, tonight I look forward to the business meeting. We do have, I, uh, I decided a long time ago, um, I think it was 1978, uh, we was in our first pastorate. We had a business meeting, and I got so aggravated at that business meeting, I resigned on the spot. <laughs> and Brenda was sitting about where she is right now, and she says, <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I showed him. And then <laughs> afterwards, I was like, oh, no, what have I done? But um, I decided, I was like, there's a different way to have business meetings. And when I found the, the, uh, the way to approach it, I said, we're not going to ever have another bad business meeting. No matter where I'm at, we're going to have a good meeting. And ours are good, really. So we invite you, if you're a member or not, uh, you're welcome to be here. Uh, The packet has a full financial disclosure, and we're fine for you having one. Uh, Even if you're not a member, if you're a guest, uh, feel free to take one. Uh, We're fully disclosure. We don't keep anything uh, secret. It's all out there, and that's the way, to me, it should be. Because the church is not mine, it's the Lord's. And uh, you don't belong to me, you belong to Him. We all belong to Him, and He is the great shepherd of the sheep. Amen? Um, I'm going to be preaching this morning on praise and worship. Is there a distinction between praise and and worship. Are they the same? Are they the same? No, there's different words. <laughs> Can't be the same because it, we'd only use one of the words if they were the same, right? <laughs> I'm, I know what you're thinking, smart Alec. You know, he's like, uh, <laughs> tucked away in um, Ephesians chapter 5, Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus is in the middle of this chapter, it's almost like it's 
displaced. Like it, it's just like an interruption in what he's writing, but it's not an interruption. Um, he, he's, he's warning the church there in Ephesus to, to be careful. And uh, they have, they, they, all these cities where the church was birthed was pagan to the core. They had temples to false gods. Some of them had temples to the Roman emperor. Emperor worship was big. They had some big temples to uh, some of the Roman emperors. And it was just a tough place to decide, I'm going to follow Jesus, who we can't see with our eyes, but we hear this message that he is the son of God and he died on the cross, was raised from dead. They come under conviction and they're born again. And they're in this culture that is overwhelmingly pagan. And so he's kind of warning them and even says to them in one place, you once were in darkness. You was just like the rest of those people out there. You were once in darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. Live as children in light. Find out what pleases the Lord. Those are the words that he's telling the the converts in Ephesus that you were one of them. You used to be one of them. You used to be all into that stuff out there. But now you've, you're on a different course. And then he says, this is in verse 15. And uh, if you want to read along with me, I'm reading out of the NIV. And then he says this. Be very careful how you live. Think about that. They've been transformed. They are believers. They're not pagans. They're worshiping the Lord. He's writing to them. And he says, but be careful how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And here's this part that just looks like it's like he shifts gears. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, excess, all kinds of problems. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and songs of the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he goes on submitting yourselves to one another. And then that great section on the picture of a husband and wife being a picture of Christ in the church. But when you look at uh, verse 18, he's talking about influence. There is an influence of alcohol. You know, years ago, the... the, uh, Law would charge people with a DWI. You remember that? Used to be DWI. Driving while intoxicated. And that's always been a big deal for for us. Soon after Brenda and I were married, our neighbor, Beth Johns, who did the flowers for our wedding, um, was driving. Her husband was in the passenger seat. And... um, she was T-boned by a drunk driver, killed instantly, our neighbor. Her daughter and son were, uh, Danny and I, we would explore the woods behind our house. We rode horses together. She never got to see either one of her children get married or have children because of one guy making the decision that 
that took a beautiful woman of God away from her husband, away from her children. But now they change it to DUI, driving under the influence. And he's talking about an influence compared from being drunk with wine where all kinds of problems take place and being filled with the Holy Spirit. Isn't that something to be compared with? Just as much that does to one person, think about what this does to another person. And then he gives us an idea of what that translates into. Speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. What are psalms, hymns, and songs of the Spirit? Songs of the Spirit, I think we can say, are songs that are prompted by the Holy Spirit. Singing prompted by the move of the Holy Spirit. But let's look at these types of songs. What about the psalms? We don't sing many of the psalms around here, do we? There's 150 of them. That's the psalm book of the Jewish peoples right there in the middle of your Bible. Many of them written by David. David was not only a fearless warrior, a man that could not be intimidated at all, and yet he was an accomplished musician, songwriter, wrote all these songs. He wrote songs when he was riding high in victory, and sometimes in the middle of a cave hiding from King Saul, he would write a song. He wrote a song from some of his greatest disastrous decisions. It just seems like... God moved on him to, to write a song as a response to some of his greatest failures. I don't know about you, but I wouldn't want to write a song about my failures. But here's David writing these great moments, dark moments. But there is uh, some songs that's come out of the Psalms. Uh, as the deer panteth for the water, so my soul longeth after thee. Those are some great songs, right? But how about somebody, I mean, when the old tradition, I came up in a very small church in Childersburg. We probably never had more than 50 or 60 people on a regular basis. But it was like somebody get up with the hymn book and they'd start the song service. And then somebody just blurred out a number. Let's sing so-and-so. And we'd sing that. Somebody, how many have been in service like that? Just sing so-and-so. We'd sing that. Can you imagine if somebody blurted out, sing 119 in the, in the book of Psalms. A song so long that they divided up in stanza by the Hebrew Bible. And yet this is kind of like what, how we did I believe a lot of us in this room can say worship service is a lot different from what it used to be. There's this somewhat of a spontaneous from the platform instead of from the congregation. But as I was thinking about what song to sing after this message, you know, the first song was on the Holy Spirit. I said, but that's it. And then the second song was about worship. No, that's it. And then we got to a third song that talked about surrender. And it says, no, that's it. So I don't know what we're going to sing at the end of the service. But you can see the psalm, the psalms were how they worshiped God, how they 
would express their love for God. It was structured. It was, it was for teaching purposes. Many of those who would sing these psalms did not have the words in front of them. They learned by repetition. They didn't have song books. They had the scriptures in the synagogue, but the synagogue leaders would read those scriptures and they would memorize them and they memorize all these songs. And you, when you look at the difference between praise and worship, they're obviously not the same. Praise is about extolling, speaking uh, with a great sense of exaltation to the Lord. It's, it's kind of bragging on God, isn't it? How do we use the word when praise? When we praise someone, what are we saying? They did, they did something really well. You're complimenting them. Praise, in a way, is complimenting God for the things that he's done in our lives. Uh, Psalm 34 has this praise element in it. He said, I will extol the Lord at all times. I will really exalt him at all times. His praise, the things about him will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. And that is about as a good description of praise as you can get. It's an exaltation of the Lord. Singing is actually declaring the words that expresses the greatness of God. And I'm sorry for those who uh, don't like to sing. I feel bad for people who don't like to sing, who don't sing. And you might be like um, our son. When he was little, he loved to sing, but he sang the same note. <laughs> it, it was really interesting. He would sing a song, and he never got off the same note. He, had, he was tone deaf. He just sang the same thing. And, you know, I don't even know if he sings. I haven't heard him sing in a long time. I guess he decided it's not for me. And, but listen, sing anyway. If you even sing the same note, sing. Because God is deserving of the tone deaf as well. He deserves worship if it's coming from a great voice or the same tone through the whole song. You just start singing. Sing along or sing by yourself. But sing, there's something about, he says, when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, there's something about singing that comes out of that. Speaking to ourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody to the Lord. Exalting the Lord, praising him. And many of the psalms are prayers. Prayers put to music. You know, we've had that done with the Lord's Prayer, Our Father with art in heaven. It's a great song when you hear that song. For thine is the kingdom and the glory and the power forever. Amen. Those, those are the kind of songs that we ought to sing because they're not only a prayer, they're praise. Well, lyrically, we should sing songs that are biblically accurate. Amen. And all three of our songs... Check that box this morning. But we have a way of writing songs. We do have a way of writing songs. Just build my mansion next door to Jesus. <laughs> you know, that's a real song. When I, when I think about that, just build my mansion next door to Jesus. There's a word I want to use there, but I'm not going to use there. So I use a different word. Really? 
Heaven is a subdivision? And Jesus lives in that mansion, and you just, I'm jockeying for the house next to him. No. See, this is what happens when King James translates, in my father's house are many mansions. And all of a sudden, we think we're all going to have our own mansion. No, that's not what that says. That's what the King James translates. It's abiding places. In my father's one house are many rooms. I hate to take away your mansion. (laughs) He is the mansion. He is the dwelling place. And, and, you know, we can see beautiful houses like, oh, I hope my house up there is going to be. No, you're not going to have a house up there. There's one house. It's his house. You're going to get to have a room in the house, but you won't care about what it looks like because it's his house. We need to praise the Lord because of who he is. Dan Betzer said one time, he said, I, he was complaining about a song. He said, I can feel the brush of angels' wings. He said, you wouldn't know what angel wings feel like. Nobody's had the brush of angels' wings. Why do you sing a song that stupid? (laughs) I'm I'm just saying what Betzer said about it. But isn't it sad we try to have these emotional songs and all of a sudden we start getting lyrics that are not really accurate. But what about worship? How is Worship different from praise. I'm glad you asked that. (laughs) Worship is about a surrender. Praise is about exalting. Worship is about yielding, letting go, sacrificing whatever you have for the glory of God. It is a type of yielding your soul to him. You think about the temptation of Jesus. Forty days, forty days of spiritual warfare. Immediately after he was baptized in water by John the Baptist, he goes into forty days of this enormous struggle against the devil himself. He's throwing everything he can, and at the end of that forty days of battling, he takes three approaches to try to break Jesus down when he's uh, when he's at. The very moment of 40 days without food, without a companionship, without any voices around him encouraging him. And he goes after three things. And the last one is this. He shows Jesus all of the kingdoms that are out there and falsely claims they belong to him. They don't belong to him. But he shows him all of those kingdoms and he says this to Jesus. You remember what he said, right? If you bow down and worship me, I will give you everything that I'm showing you. If you bow down and worship me. Why didn't he say, if you praise me, I'll give you all that? There's another way of telling the difference between praise and worship. If you praise me, you just say something nice about me. No, he didn't want that. He wanted superiority. He wanted what Jesus had. He wanted his position. He wanted him to trade his position of being exalted. He wanted that. He wanted The worship. He wanted worship. And I think probably we should not be surprised when our culture of our our world takes music to such a, a state of depravity that music is used to bring people into bondage. 
whether it's a review of Woodstock or heavy metal music or head-banging music, if you ever see some of these people, it's like, man, I think they're over in a dark place. But it's music. It's, see, music is an instrument the devil knows exactly how to use. You think about how much in this world music is used to advance the devil's plan. And yet we come in and we know that this is for the exaltation of God, it's for the worship of God. Worship is an act of surrender. When we had that last song, I thought, worship is an act of surrender. It's in my notes right here. I didn't write it down after they sung the song. See, you can't really worship God without surrendering to him. You can praise him. We can praise him all we want to. We can sing songs and be genuine, be meaningful. But we're not really worshiping until we yield ourselves to him. Until we say to him, you are deserving of my life. And everything within my life really belongs to you. Martin Luther was more than just a reformer. He was a songwriter. A mighty fortress is our God. You know what he would do? All through the calendar of the year. Whether it was Christmas, Easter, anything, he would write songs. John Newton was the same way. After he had that dramatic conversion, he became a pastor. And many Sundays, he wrote a song to go along with his preaching. And you can thank me that I don't try to attempt that. <laughs> Writing songs to go along with what he was going to be preaching on. I watched the video in preparation for this, I came across it. Seven things worship leaders need to stop doing. Some of you might have seen Alan Parr. And he also had a, it, it was priceless. And I can tell you, none of those things, seven things, are present on this platform. Hallelujah. And I took the risk of watching this video... <laughs> Of watching this video saying seven things pastors need to stop doing now. And I said, go for it, Charles. I played it and I was like, yeah, yeah. But I remember like I'd be guilty of some of that early on. Because <laughs> you learn how not to do some things just because they don't turn out well. Right? But when he's talking about worship, he's talking about things like sing songs that are biblically accurate. And I love church. I love singing. I, I'm wide open to be corrected. And we ought to say, Lord, if I'm doing something that's not really in line with worshiping you, help me to see how to line myself up with you. Because I'm telling you, a lot of us get into a rut when it comes to things that we are usually doing something the same way all the time. Now, I grew up singing out of a songbook. And I love those hymns. Great hymns. And some of them, we, we've, like, we've done some of the hymns here. And of course, they kind of like change it up a little bit. And we need that. But we also need this last part. In Ephesians 5.18, songs of the Spirit. Songs of the Spirit. I am so grateful for people's phone ringing. No. 
It didn't, it didn't throw me off at all. I'm, I'm, I'm still on, on message. Let me see where I'm at here. Now, songs of the Spirit. I was sharing uh, at the prime timers meeting. It's TFA adults, right? I'm sorry. Prime timers. Let's just go and say it's prime timers. Sharing with a couple about the charismatic movement and how God used, I'm a traditionalist and I'm telling you, in Jacksonville, Florida, God was body slamming me. (laughs) To put it like, oh, these people, Lord, they're doing this and this and this and they're speaking in tongues and and I remember him just like, you leave them alone. I'll take care of the stuff that you worry about. You just love them. You teach them. You preach. You preach. You shepherd them. I just want you to shepherd them. You leave them alone. <laughs> and those people who had been baptized in the Holy Spirit was so open to whatever God was doing in their lives. And it's like that transition in Ephesians, it works. It works just like that. It's there, you're at this one point, and all of a sudden, you're at a different point, totally changed. And sometimes it's not that dramatic, but the infilling of the Holy Spirit and the fire of God and having an, a level of worship and praying in the Spirit, praying in tongues, singing in tongues, being in meetings where a couple thousand people were all singing in the Spirit at the same time, it was It was something that was totally not in my tradition and in my culture. But I realized that God was doing something through the power of the Holy Spirit. And he wants to take away the limitations that you placed on your own life. Where you say, that's not for me, or I don't know if that's for everybody. When you're putting a limitation on what God can do in your life, and he wants to deconstruct that limitation. And that you experience him for who he is and the power that he brings when he immerses us in his Holy Spirit. There is a power greater than anything we'll ever experience by studying the scriptures, which is good, or by being devoted, which is good, and having encouragement, people giving us, which is good. But there's a power beyond that. And God wants you, he wants me, he wants all of us to be filled with his power. Filled with his Holy Spirit. Filled with the presence of God. Yielded vessels to him. Dennis and Rita Bennett, I've referred, I've referenced them. Dynamic couple. Episcopalian. High church. Like Dr. Stephen Gowan, our pediatrician, when Jason was little, he was a Presbyterian. He, he was lost as lost could be. He'd make a joke. He said, I'm Presbyterian. I was born saved. But he was lost in such a shambles in his life personally. But he and Rose Gallen had an experience, found Jesus, and both of them got baptized in the Holy Spirit, and they were crazy charismatics. Love people. He would see Jason, kind of. <laughs> and, and he would tell about, hey, we were in Cuba. You wouldn't believe the move of God. And after about 30 minutes, he says, okay. I says, but Dr. Gollin, you haven't checked Jason out. <laughs> he was so excited what God was doing. I said, Jason needs to be checked out, okay? Said, oh, yeah, that's right, that's right. 
And seeing those kind of people, Lutherans, Methodists, I'm telling you, there's a lot of Baptists in this city that are spirit-filled. I've been in some of them's homes. And they have, they have church. Some of them in First Baptist and Dr. Gill, he knows all about it. He's been there. Filled with the Holy Spirit, people moving in the power of the Holy Spirit. There's an explosion of evangelism around the world, and telling, I'm telling you what's fueling it is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Think about this. This is the latest numbers that they can calculate of the charismatic Pentecostal people who are Christians. That part of Christianity is around, they're estimated around 644 million people out of the Christian faith are Pentecostal charismatic believers. Because of the hunger, the sheer desire to have everything God has for them And I hope and pray that every one of us in this building has a a growing hunger for everything God has for you personally. To fill you up with his presence, to fill you up with his power, to use you as a dynamic instrument in his hands. He wants to use you. Be very careful how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. I'd like for the praise team to come back up. I really don't know. Let's sing that third song. I like that third song. Surrender. You know, I'm not going to give a personal testimony, but I can tell you this. There's people in my life, one of them was a charismatic Catholic ex-monk, Max Russer, that found Jesus in a monastery in Rochester, New York, renounced his, his commitment to be a monk, ended up in Jacksonville, Florida. And we had a three-year-old living in a 12 by 60 mobile home next to a church that seated about hundred people if you put if you crowded them in about 40 people this guy shows up in our driveway starts talking to me and then he says he's a mutual Omaha I says oh man you're here to sell me insurance and he talks to me about my life my you know my future and I like we barely can eat buddy But I realized he didn't stop there. We were, we were, we were so far out of town. I don't even know how he found us. On New Berlin Road. That man started ending meetings. He'd come back and meet with me and he'd pray for me. And I realized something's different about that guy. He spoke in our church. Filled with the Holy Spirit. Dynamic. later I was a nobody I was just stuck out in the woods we were just happy to have a place to minister and that guy began to widen my vision and here I am Pentecostal since I was a teenager but I said this guy has something much more going on in his life than I do 
help disciple me into walking more. The, the, the Pastor Strader really introduced me, but I had a living, breathing person in front of me. And I can only hope for you this morning that you will long for that. I can't make you long for that. But I hope that you will long for that. Long to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Long to be so saturated with His presence that the stuff that you battle begins to dissipate. How you see your life, how you see people around you begins to change. Don't you want that? Don't you want to have that? Would you stand with me and as we sing this song, if you want that, if you if you he said, I, even if you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, if you just want this next place that He has for you, Lord, I, I pray that somewhere in our lives there's a, there's a hunger that is stirred to go past where we are at, no matter where we're at, to want more of you. More of you, Jesus. More of your spirit. More of your knowledge. More of your power. More faith. More determination. More courage. More hope. More peace. More direction, Lord. More wisdom in our decisions. We need to break out of this cycle that we may be in that the same thing keeps popping up that damages May that be rid this morning. May that be broken off this morning. And if any of that applies to you, I want you to come and stand across the front. We're going to ask for a wave of God's Holy Spirit to come into this house and displace stuff in us that needs to be moved aside so that He can have all that He wants to have of you. And I do believe this is a Sunday that's a turning point. Not because I'm here and I'm saying this. I just believe this is Sunday's turning point. Who knows what next Sunday we'll have if, if we even have it. But this is today. This 